Hey, YTOS listeners. We transitioned to a new recording platform this season, and we definitely had some trial and error as we went along. This episode has some audio artifacts we just couldn't get rid of during the editing process, so please give us some grace as you're listening. Thanks for understanding, and get ready for the last episode of Season 2 of You'll Think of Something. Welcome to our final episode of the second season of You'll Think of Something. I'm Allie Perkins, a longtime talent professional with loads of experience in facilitation, training design, and program management. And I'm Kara Apollo. I'm an animation executive who specializes in training and artistic development with a deep love of production management and the creative process. So this is episode six, and we're talking about small businesses and the way they approach problems with creative solutions. So why are we shaking things up like this on you in the last episode? It's because we like to do a case study every season, so we spend time talking to real people who are dealing with real problems. It's less theoretical. We want to take the pie down from the sky for you. Yeah, the thing we're trying to capture with these case studies is what it's really like to be a small business owner, you know, that's like embedded in a community. Someone who has to work with their local municipalities and other local businesses. I mean, not to mention citizens and customers and all these other people who help to shape their business and their success. So today we have with us Danielle Pogue, an artist and baker in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. But we'd really like Danielle to tell us a little bit about herself in her own words. So hit it, Danielle. Yeah, so I grew up here in Dallas. Um, Lived here almost all of my adult life. Uh, Went to UNT for a little bit, but didn't do great there. Uh, (laughs) I was kind of the classic um, change majors all the time. Didn't know what I want to do. And graduation was looming. And I thought, oh, no, I've got to figure my life out because I don't know what's going on. So I had one class to graduate and I uh, jumped ship and moved across the country to Portland. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and amazing. Cool. Yeah, I had a French class, like literally one French class. And I just was like, I don't know. I, this isn't right. Uh, bye. um yeah so I enrolled in baking and pastry school loved it graduated there and started working in restaurants in Portland and lived there for uh five years and then moved to Philly for a little bit before ultimately moving back home and working uh various restaurants around town here were you in like pastry making the entire time I was, yeah. There were two programs. There was a pastry track and a culinary track, and I specifically chose pastry. Um, I knew that while I'm sure breaking down a whole hog is a great skill to have, I did not want to be a butcher. I knew that was not something I needed to uh, learn. So, yeah, I went full baking and pastry for my time. That's amazing. And now that you're back in Dallas, what is life like for you? So when I first moved back, I uh, got in contact with an old friend uh, who was one of my best friends in high school. We hung out. She uh, has a twin brother that I sort of hung out with high school, but not much. And long story short, we are now married with two small children. Yay! And 
Yeah. And um, when the kids were born, I was working in restaurants. And that was way too demanding of a schedule with a newborn, as any mom knows. Uh, 3 a.m. pastry morning shifts were a little bit. And that is how Endora's was born. Yay! And how would you describe Endora's? So Endora's specializes very specifically in decorated custom sugar cookies. We used to do, I used to do cakes, pies, petty fours, the whole pastry gamut. But I have learned through trial and error over the years that what I love and what I am the best at is decorated sugar cookies. And they are for every occasion under the sun. Awesome. Um, Why the name Endora? What does it mean? So uh, what is very popular in baking is to add your name plus your product. And I knew off the bat, I did not want to be Danielle's cookies. That's not a good (laughs) flow. There's nothing there that I loved. Um, So two main reasons. One, I wanted something that was reflective of me. That was not my specific name. And most people that know me know that I love a good spooky vibe. (laughs) So I wanted my business to, of course, reflect me. And I think that the name is unique. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to run into a lot of others in Dora's issues, big houses out there. (laughs) Um, I think memorable without being uh, too punny. I also didn't want, I feel like that crops right. up a lot of baking. I wanted something that had a good vibe that also came off as serious. I feel like bakeries really get into this like very strange sphere of getting a little kooky with their name. Sure. Yeah. And I didn't want that. Um, so I wanted a good vibe, something that kind of said outright, you know, we're a little witchy, a little, a little strange. Um, we'll do birthdays, but we'll also do seances or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> We're here for it all. You're a one-stop bake shop. I am here for your cookie needs. Um, well, spe- speaking of which, I'm really interested to hear, like, tell us a little bit about your products and, like, who your customers are. What's your most popular products? That sort of thing. I mean, it's moms for sure, right? It's the party plan of the family it's birthdays I do get weddings but they're you know I'll get five a year one due to my own I'm a you know one woman show here so I can't do 500 person weddings every weekend right um and also really my ideal customer my customer base is is moms who are coming back and ordering cookies for Every kid's birthday, for Christmas, for their school, teachers, um, you know, the ones who are doing the organizing, getting their mom's birthday, planning their parents' anniversary party. Yeah. Um, I do get some partners for their spouses, but definitely, primarily, it's it's the moms who are doing the party planning that come. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so interesting. Like, that is such a, like, a woman-centric business. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, like I said, the the male customers I have are mostly friends or 
friends of friends. Like that's the more organic customers I get are word of mouth at birthday parties. Mm -hmm. The other side is, oh yeah, Danielle makes cooking. (laughs) So the two sides there, yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned you're a one woman show, which means that uh, you have to be conscientious about the uh, types of orders you take and the volume. And so, you know, as a small business owner, you are your own boss. You have to manage your own time while balancing other responsibilities. So how do you manage yourself? What kind of like strategies do you use? What does your day to day look like? And, and what kinds of not necessarily boundaries, but what kinds of parameters do you operate in to keep you going towards your your goal, whether that's a certain number of cookies that you have to make or whether it's fulfilling a certain number of orders? And, you know, what does that look like for you? It comes out in a variety of ways. I think one of the biggest guidelines I have is that I don't work on the weekends except for if I have a market. So like today I did a fall market, that's an exception, but I don't do pickups on the weekend. So if somebody orders cookies for a birthday party, you have to come get it on a Thursday or Friday so that because I work out of my home, you know, work is always there basically. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. to create, um, it, in my mind, I think of it as like a grid, like, okay, I've got this Monday through Friday grid, just like people who are going into the office. I don't yeah. answer emails after hours. I, you know, if I'm on social media, that's for my own benefit. Like, Ooh, look at this cookie. Not I'm responding to your message. Got it. That's like impressive though. Like, I mean, that takes a lot of like strict personal boundaries. I would say it's been a lot of trial and error over the years. <laughs> I would love to say that I started day one with Endora's doing that perfectly. And I definitely didn't, you know, it was a lot of late nights, midnights, and my kids are small. They're three and four. So, and I've been doing this for almost six years now. So, I mean, babies when I was doing this and it, you know, there were tear filled nights where that forced me to create a system. A second one that we've just moved into a new house where I have a more dedicated space, but it's been a bit of a challenge to create physical space when you're waking, you're baking out of a kitchen. You know, it is, it is my kitchen. I cook for my kids and my husband, my family. So creating a physical space, which is just a baking rack has actually been really transformative into this is family space versus business space. Yeah. That's so great. Yeah, those, those two things have been kind of the, the biggest organizing factors so far. And what's so funny is that the very next thing that I wanted to ask you about was how you manage your space because of, you know, you obviously have these like professional boundaries that you've set um, for er- areas like um, your social media and your outreach. Um, but for your physical space, it's very blended. So it sounds like you have a baking rack that kind of like keeps that stuff aside. But do you have any other ways that you organize your home space versus your um, your work space to make that delineation? I wish I had a better answer for this, but if you open a bunch of cupboards in my house, you're going to find Endora's stuff. (laughs) (laughs) People listening to this who think this interview is with someone who has figured it all out, very wrong. (laughs) 
I am very much a work in progress. Um, We do have an office space that I share with my husband and he has kind of a side business that also sort of takes over spaces. So it's, it's a lot of fighting for control in your home that also has hundreds of toys in it and other baking pans that I don't use for Endora's. So I think the best answer I have to this is just that there are spaces in the house that are dedicated to Endora's. They're not in a perfect part in the house set up wonderfully. They're a cabinet in the living room that holds all of my uh, pre-sale supplies. So for Halloween and Christmas, I have pre-sales and I buy little buckets from Target that are a dollar that I fill with mini cookies and those things. Those are in cabinets that right. are also our buffet in the dining room. Yeah. So there's a lot of things like that that don't cross over with other items in the house, but they definitely are scattered throughout our house. And I think that like anybody can, well, after the last two years, a lot of people can relate to that from the pandemic too, of like, how do we all smush into this space together and make it both a work and, and livable space? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it all just kind of blurred together for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, some of us are taking great pains to kind of, you know, parse it apart again, but others Mm -hmm. of us, and and this is why I find this totally relatable, are just letting everything stay smushed together. (laughs) This is the new, this is the The new new, normal. normal. This is our system now. (laughs) Yeah. This is is the system. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, can we talk a little bit about pricing structure? I know it, it's something that all small business owners struggle with. You know, how much is my product or my time worth? When do I adjust my rates? Um, what, you know, how does, how does the market affect this or like the clientele that I'm going for affect this? Like, how have you dealt with that? So a couple of things that I have done really in the last year and a half are look at the market around me and there are a lot of other cookie people around Mm -hmm. and also my own skill set so it's not only about the market growing and there being a demand for what I'm producing but I'm also getting better at it and that deserves a higher price so I always look at my prices every six months and adjust and Part of that is the two things I just said, but part of it is also thinking smarter about how I operate. So for me right now, the biggest, um, I guess, quantity of time that I spend on things is custom orders. So people contact me, they want a birthday party. That is a very specific set that will only go out once. I do get some repeat themes, but it's still always, oh, and can we add in a flamingo? Or, you know, there's always <laughs> adjustments there. So what I want to move more towards is doing you pay however much money a month and you get a dozen cookies every month and I pick everything color scheme designs it'll be based on the time of season you're not going to get skulls in May but <laughs> I mean, or maybe you will maybe, maybe you will I don't know <laughs> I might be into that yeah, I know I don't know <laughs> but I think kind of 
back to your question about pricing, for me, that's what I think will make more sense going forward. Instead of my calendar being full of 10 different designs in a week, if I have 10 one dozen orders of the same theme that I'm controlling all the elements of, that's a much bigger time saver and thus moneymaker, right? So right. it's just a lot of kind of little adjustments like that. Um, yes, I think diff- like what sort of efficiencies can you find? Right, exactly. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I love to make cookies that are incredibly elaborate and detailed. But to be honest, ultimately, it's a cookie that's going to get eaten. So nobody's going to buy a $12 cookie that I spent four hours on. <laughs> so it's just really streamlining what makes sense to do and how efficient can I be in that endeavor. I, I think that that's incredibly relatable though. Like even for, I'm thinking about like my past students who are all like freelance artists. Right. And, and I think a big part about it is recognizing what you're good at and how you're growing and then recognizing where efficiencies can be made. Um, and that like reinventing the wheel is, is not necessary every time. Um, but I think that that the last thing you said too is like just not being precious about your work is also really important. So tapping into sort of like how do I combine my you know love and pursuit into something that actually makes sense to spend time on. Nobody is going to notice if your flamingo has three colors instead of two. Just do two yeah. colors. It's fine. Yeah. So, so there's tons of things like that. That, and again, like this has been many years of figuring that out. You know, you don't need to paint metallics on a bike. You can just use yellow icing. Like it'll be fine. <laughs> so, I'm really glad you brought up the flamingo because let's say that you've never done a flamingo before, and someone wants like a typical birthday party spread, but they're like, I really want a flamingo riding a unicycle wearing a sombrero and you're like okay cool um but you've never done that before how do you learn that is it trial and error and how do you keep up your skills so that you can try and stay ahead of you know just the trends in general in in your industry Uh, first of all there are so many trends like I guess this happens everywhere, but when you're immersed in something, it feels like I just look at the same cookies all day long, every day. (laughs) (laughs) But to your specific question, um, I would start with a sketch, physical pen and paper sketch, and just see, like, can I even fit this on a cookie? Like, I'm not going to make you a six-inch cookie. (laughs) So, does this make sense? Um, I typically will accept any order that I think that I can execute. So if you come to me with an idea, I'm not going to just say yes. If I sketch it out and I think this isn't going to work on a cookie because I can only do so fine of lines. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a lot of, of an image on a cookie. So I do try to be realistic in what I can execute. So that kind of narrows down a lot of sort of the extreme, if you will, (laughs) requests that come in. If I say, one, that's going to cost you $10 a cookie. And two, it's not going to look like you think it's going to look. It's going to be one feather on a unicycle or whatever. Like it's, you know, 
won't be as cute. So that, that kind of helps filter out some of that stuff, but also, um, it is a lot of me on my own trying new things. Um, can I do a, a new feather technique that'll take less time, but still give the same texture. Um, and I do a lot of, I'm in a really fortunate position to have my job be my hobby also. So I take classes all the time. <laughs> I'm always trying to do new stuff because I think it's fun. And that does help, you know, luckily that relates to my business also, but also I just love cookies and I just want to oh. do them all the time. I love that you take classes. That's so amazing. And it's such a good example, by the way, that like, like you said, when you get immersed in your area, you just discover like, oh, there's like all these other people who are doing this thing with me too. Like Allie and I are not familiar with the cookie making scene, but clearly there is a huge cookie making scene out there that you're a part of. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a wide world of cookie. We're called cookieers. Oh my God. Uh, you you make it sound like a secret society. Like, oh yes, there is (laughs) an underground that you know nothing about. (laughs) There was a TV show and they always say cookie bakers. And I'm like, you don't know the lingo. That's not right. Everyone's judging you. That's so funny. (laughs) Yeah, as a part of learning new skills, there was a huge conference just in Dallas that I went to. It was four days of everything cookie. I mean, there was a vendor hall, there were classes, there were seminars, a speaker, a banquet. Uh, Immersed myself in the cookie world, and it was wonderful. I met a lot of people. I took a class from someone who, um, her name is Artie Magoo, is her cookie name. And she was kind of one of the first people that I saw very elaborate cookies from on the, on the social media, you know, Pinterest kind of boards. Um, I I think everybody had seen kind of at Christmas, the stockings that people make, but hers was the first one that I saw with like a level of artistic detail that I thought, Oh my gosh, that that's a cookie. Like you can, put that on a cookie it looked like a beautiful painting or drawing and I got to take a class from her and she was so nice and so kind and you know when you meet people like that and they turn out to be horrible it's so disappointing and she was not like that at all (laughs) so that was like a really fun moment to be like oh no you are actually kind just like you come across that is like a really good feeling um yeah and the second I took a second class that was kind of a witchy set which of course I took but the main skill that they worked on was airbrushing so you i created these really beautiful cookies as a part of this class but also like a very practical technique that will get used in every set practically so that was kind of nice too to have not only recreate this beautiful set but have a really tangible skill tied to a piece of equipment that i kind of wasn't amazing at that now i have a lot more confidence with so yeah, it was a great, great four days for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. That's amazing. I just looked up this Artie Magoo person um, and her cookies are insane. They're insane. They're incredible. And she yeah, is beautiful. so kind. And she's exactly like I imagined that she would look too. She's got like a rockabilly vibe, you know, going. For sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> amazing. Um, that's a nice segue actually into, um, another topic we wanted to discuss, which was, um, the importance of social media to your business. 
because really that's like where so many of these, these cookiers live, right? So can you tell us a little bit about like how it's helped, like what your strategy is, how much time you spend on it, like how you figured it out? It is kind of a beast into itself. It's, it can be really time consuming if you let it. I recently, because we moved into a new house without a working oven, uh, I had to take a forced hiatus um, back now. But in that time, I kind of had to reevaluate how much time I was spending on social media because it can right. be your friend, but it can be your foe very much so. Um, I have basically told myself now that I am going to spend a lot less time on it than I was before. I was okay. following kind of a rigid schedule of posting four times a week. I was checking when you have a business Instagram page, I think Facebook has this also, but I'm less active there. You can go in and see when is your audience most active. And I would crazily look at this and try to hit the right points with the right hashtags local to every single thing. So I could get most reach, which I think that you need to do a little bit to sure. be relevant and to reach your market. But there is a thin line where you can go too far. And I was spending way too much time that was not resulting in sales. So what I was falling prey to, I think, was like the comparison game. So why is this post getting more likes in my area with cookies that I don't think are as good as mine? And I kind of got lost in the spiral of why I started my business and what was making me happy. So <sighs> kind of. That's like so relatable. That's so yeah, interesting. It, it really is. And yeah. just to think that you identified that return on investment before yes. things got too dark. Yeah. So, I, like I said, my forced hiatus was actually really, I think, good healthy. for me. Healthy uh, for me personally, but also for the business. Because in that time, the leads on my website exceeded the time that I was not as active on social media. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So, like, and I have an okay following. and I'm happy with where I'm at. But that also showed that like word of mouth is still very strong. People are finding my website. My product is speaking for itself. I don't need to spend as much time doing this. I don't need to Google what hashtags are trending in my area. That is not important. Go learn more airbrushing skills, right? So those things, while social media is definitely great and I have a good audience that I'm happy with, I have a, a healthier balance of what makes sense overall versus, you know, can I get the most likes on something? So as you have grown as a person and as a professional and a business owner, how have your cookies changed along with you? I think when I first started, I shied away from anything controversial because that's what makes sense, right? <laughs> I think that as I've grown, um, more comfortable in my business, but also just as an adult beliefs and feelings, I often will uh, cookie my own 
feelings about what's going on in the world. You know, it is my business, but it's also like my artistic expression. And yes. that comes out with the, you know, the news and, and my own beliefs. Um, so I'm pretty loud with what I believe. <laughs> and I, that translates to Endora's as well. You know, anyone that follows me will know pretty quickly uh, where I stand on things. You know, the mo- <laughs> the recent slate of bills passed in Texas, including, you know, the horrible abortion heartbeat bill. You know, I pretty quickly made cookies to just say, this is wrong and I'm here for you for all women in Texas. And that stuff is important to me to say and I think a lot of people will say like this cookie lady is getting in my face with politics but you know I'm also a person and and I like being able to say you know this matters and yes it's a cookie but it's also important to me (laughs) but it feels subversive also in a way because I mean we've come so far in terms of women's rights in the last hundred years right and so like for something that used to be a um, just a, a part of domesticity, like baking, right, was so part of just domestic life. For now, a hundred years later, um, you know, we have gotten to the point where now you are a business owner who can use it as a political platform. And I think that that is really awesome. I definitely think that when I talk with people and, you know, random strangers neighborhood people or whatever and i say oh i make cookies they are not expecting what they find (laughs) (laughs) i think you know home baker doesn't always translate into loud political mouthpiece but yeah yeah Incredible. So, Danielle, first of all, thank you so much for spending time with us um, today to talk about your experience, to share with us um, some of these, you know, solutions that you've come to for yourself or realizations you've come to for yourself that have served you in this evolution of your business. And so we were just wondering if there was any guidance that you have for other small business owners or creatives who are navigating similar challenges right now. I think the best advice I have is to make sure you're making space for yourself in your own endeavor. I think it can be really easy to get lost in a new business because it's exciting and you want to pour your heart and soul into it, but Mm -hmm. that can lean up to burnout so quickly and all the things that you're excited about and you're working so hard for can really slip quickly. So just, you know, sleep enough, get enough rest and drink water and like give yourself really mental stability because that will ultimately drive your goals so much, um, so much faster to get to where you're, you're going, um, to help with that drive, I think, um, which I don't think I did. I took every order. I took every theme. I took the flamingo on the unicycle and that's, you know, it, it builds up and takes a toll. So I think being intentional from the start about what your bandwidth is, is really key. So true. 
I was going to say anybody stepping into any job, but really anybody at any moment needs their yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, sleep, <laughs> drink water, right. and be mindful of your time. Like, yeah. yes, I needed yeah. that reminder today, yeah. actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so, Danielle, thank you so much for being here. We are so happy to support you and your delicious cookies. And I want to emphasize that to our audience. Danielle's cookies not only are beautiful, but are also delicious. And I have to say that was a surprise for me the first time I took the bite because a lot of times these decorative cookies, people don't care as much about taste, but yours are the real deal. So my question here is where can we find out more about your business? Um, The best way to find me is at my website at indorasbakehouse.com. I am on Facebook and Instagram as well, but it's best to go to the website. Now, just in time for Valentine's Day, Danielle has graciously offered our YTOS listeners a coupon code for 10% off. If you're in the Dallas area, be sure to mention the code when you contact her for an order at Endora's Bakehouse or when you place an order for your February cookie of the month or Valentine's Day box. So if you do anything, I really encourage you to go out and at least look and follow Danielle's Instagram uh, because the cookie content she posts is absolutely awesome. She shares some stuff that I think will really inspire you um, or at least, you know, brighten your day. That being said, um, I think it's time for us to talk about what we're learning this week. Yes. So this week I'm learning a little bit more about the wonderful world of LinkedIn. I, um, I'm not trying to be like humble bragging right now, but due to my relatively new position, I have become quite a popular figure on LinkedIn lately. (laughs) I didn't even think about that, but yes, one of the repercussions of your new position is that you are a hot target on LinkedIn. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a hot target on LinkedIn and I, Um, Therefore, I'm getting a lot of uh, more messages from people, um, both acquaintances, um, as well as new folks, as well as young folks. And I've always in the past been really great about answering people on LinkedIn. And I've always been really, um, I've made it part of my practice to make sure that I was responding to especially those who are just looking to enter the industry and I am struggling. So that's all I was just going to say that like, I'm struggling right now because I can't keep up with the amount of messages I'm receiving or like the new requests I'm getting. And I, I am trying to decide what, like, that's just a new method of communication for me and a new place that I have to check and respond to. And like, what is the right amount to respond when, how often, what do I say? And also to, I think recognize within myself that I'm not going to be able to do as much as I used to do for people who randomly like reached out to me on LinkedIn. Yeah. Your bandwidth has changed. Yeah. Um, And, and so now you're going to have to figure out your own strategy and also um, figure out what your return on investment is because networking is still important. You're just going to have to go about it differently now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I also think that I'm, I'm trying to have a little bit more um, empathy for people. Like I used to always say to students, like reach out to whoever on LinkedIn, like do it. And I still want people to do that obviously, but I want, I want people to recognize that if people don't get back to them, it doesn't mean that they're jerk faces. They're just people like me. I swear I'm not a jerk face. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but that's, but that's the thing too, is that, 
Um, you hear all these origin stories when people, you know, will talk about like, well, I reached out to so-and-so and they never reached back out to me, you know, or they never responded to my email. I for sure like, had that. Yeah. Sure but, that. but it's like, because people are busy and people <laughs> make their decisions about their time. It has, it's not personal. It's yeah. really not. Yeah. So yeah, it, but it is, it's, um, it's going to be an interesting journey. Yeah, I'm just trying to learn how to, like, walk the walk on that one, right? Like, make sure Mm -hmm. I'm still good to those people. So, figuring that out. Um, How about you, Allie? Tell us what you're thinking and learning about this week. Uh, So, I, along with, I think, millions of others uh, reading the New York Times, uh, am engrossed in the the bad art friend phenomenon. And this article, and I'll just, I'm not going to give any spoilers because if you haven't read it yet, then you need to go read it because it's layered and dense and there's lots of gray area and there are legal battles and exposed group chats and a Facebook group. (laughs) I mean, it is just the, it examines some of the secret societies like we were talking about earlier right right? so that like underground community of artists and what goes on behind the scenes Mm -hmm. uh, that a lot of us as consumers of art may not necessarily be privy to and so it's generated a lot of good conversation around uh where art comes from, the lines between inspiration and plagiarism, Hmm. how much you owe the people that set off the spark for an idea even, or or even the source of an idea. And that is something I am always struggling with because I went to art school, I have my MFA, and I always just felt like I was copying in some way, shape, or form, something that had been done before, or that my sources were not unique enough to set my art apart. So this is like hitting on a personal level for you. Gosh, yes. And then when I moved into training, that got even more sticky, I will say, because everything that has been said or will be said about communication or time management or um, interpersonal conflict or coaching, all of that stuff that we are still meditating on as a professional community, as an academic community has been said before. And training is really, or, you know, training and development is really about reorganizing those ideas, looking at those ideas from new perspectives and repackaging those ideas. So where do you draw the line between this is a new concept and this is just an old concept repackaged so that today's modern learner can uh, ingest and uh, process that information in a way that is relevant. Yeah. And yeah, it it basically, we all do. I mean, well, and then there's also just like ideas of imposter syndrome anyway, right? Like, so it's like, we all just feel like we're copying imposters all the time. So that's really fascinating. Oh, yes. Link, we'll we'll put a link in the show notes for people for sure. It's a long article, but well worth the read. Absolutely. 
So Danielle, do you want to share anything with us? What are you learning this week? I don't think mine is nearly as exciting as yours, which I did not know about. And now I'm going to have to go deep dive after this into this article, which I'm very excited about. Do it. It's juicy. It's real <laughs> juicy. I can't wait. Um, mine is a little uh, self-help-y, I'd say. Something that I struggle with a lot is procrastination, which I like to justify by saying, well, the fresher, the better when I bake, but it's really not a good strategy. <laughs> so I'm reading this book that's called Eat That Frog. And oh. it's supposed to like tackle kind of where your procrastination comes from, so ways to work through it. But the concept behind it is like if you eat a live frog every morning, you will have crossed off the worst task on your list for that day and you can have the satisfaction of doing that. So it's kind of about like tackling the things that you dread doing. Why are you dreading it? Kind of working through those things. I just heard this phrase for the first time this week in a training with my London office. Um, and I had never heard it before, but it's basically apparently, yeah, like I love the idea of it, like you're saying. Um, but it's that it's, I think in America, we often use the rip the bandaid off. Right. Too, right. Exactly. Like, like, just get it over with, do the thing. Just Eat take the, the first step to yeah. do what you need to do to get on with your day. Yeah. Which I really struggle with. So. But eat the frog, it like feels so much more European, you know, than sure. <laughs> rip the bandaid off. I know, I know. And I'm going to use this one now to feel um, more, um, what's the word? Uh, continental? In- yes, that's exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> I'm going to use it so I feel more continental. That's so funny. All right, friends. Well, that's it. We're wrapping up our sixth episode in season two of You'll Think of Something and what a lovely season it has been. Thank you so much for joining us during this time. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for spending your time with Kara and me and today um, our wonderful guest, Danielle Pogue. Um, We are so excited to have another season behind us and we're looking forward uh, to much more exciting content in the future. So please, if you have any ideas or desires for any very specific content uh, that you would like for us to tackle in our future episodes, reach out to us on our Instagram at ytos.podcast or email us at ytos.podcast at gmail.com. We love to hear your ideas and we love to be inspired by you. I don't think we're the bad art friends. So. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for inspiring us as we've moved through this season. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again in season three. And as always, if you're stuck, don't worry. You'll think of something. Thank you for listening to this episode of You'll Think of Something. Just as a reminder, the views expressed in this podcast are the personal thoughts and feelings of the hosts and do not reflect those of their affiliated workplaces or larger organizations. To find more resources from the show, visit ytos-podcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram at ytos 
ytos.podcast. And please email us with feedback or with suggestions for future shows at ytos.podcast at gmail.com. And remember, don't worry, you'll think of something.